0: This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, welcome to the Comp Effect podcast. Today's guest speaker is Mike McDonough. Mike McDonough is an industry veteran with 30 plus years in the insurance industry. He is the owner of McDonough Insurance Services located in San Juan, California. And Mike is known Nationwide. Nationwide is a workers' compensation renegade because of his knowledge and expertise when it comes to workers' compensation. Mike, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Well, I'm happy to be here, Todd, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to, uh, we don't get to talk enough, and when I do talk with you, we always have a blast and lots of ideas, lots of information, and I'm thrilled to share your knowledge today with, uh, with the world and uh,
1: what you know about workers compensation. Well, I appreciate you considering me, and I'm happy to help out and do whatever I can to contribute to the broker nation out there. Thank you so much. So uh, before we get started, I was going to share with our, our listeners today,
0: actually, how, I mean, we, you and I kind of have a unique way that we found each other. And uh, a couple of years ago, when I was searching for people who I thought were cutting edge in the industry, and were really doing some neat things that I wanted to do also and take the industry to, uh, your, your book that you wrote appeared in my Google search. And here's this guy in California, uh, right, you know, called the work comp renegade, writing all of these great books and informational uh, pieces that people could find on the internet. And here I start looking at those and I start reading those and I pick up the phone and reach out and there you were. And I think we've had a great relationship ever since. (laughs)
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, I think it led into when we were all going to IAOA and I wasn't able to attend because I was flying out the next day to Florida. Uh, however, we met at the restaurant uh, the, the night that everybody was coming in for the event. And I think there was like 10 of us at the dinner table, right? Do you, do you want to go through the, uh, the guest list? Uh, the guest list that night? I'm not even, uh, we, we can certainly go through the guest list.
0: So IOA is the Insurance Agency Owners Alliance. It's a group that Mike and I belong to. And uh, the first night we put together a, a big dinner of what I would call some profile names that are doing some awesome things in workers' compensation. Um, you had Ryan Hanley from Rogue Risk. You had David Crothers from Florida Risk Partners. You had you, you had me, you had Jason Cass and his partner, Travis.
1: And who else am I missing there? Uh, I'm not sure because I didn't know everybody. Uh, I was at one end of the table and David Carruthers was at the other. And I know Hanley, uh, Ryan was right next to me and Cass was, you know, next to you. And then I know Cass is partner. There was one other person there. I can't, uh, remember who it was. I, yeah, I don't, I'm going to draw a blank and it's going to come to me and they're going to listen to
0: this and say, Todd, I can't believe you forgot. And for that, I'm truly sorry. Uh, I
1: apologize too.
0: So you and I share a lot of passions, cooking being one of them. You have a great side. I guess it's not a side hustle as more as it is a side passion with Pie Man's Pizza.
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, this morning, my son called me and says, hey, uh, so-and-so called and he wants to even get a pepperoni pizza tonight for his son. His son loves pepperoni pizza. And I just told him, well, I need a couple of days advance notice. So I'm going to make pizza for him either this Sunday or next Thursday for him and his son. So anyways, yeah, it's a passion that I have. Um, who doesn't love pizza? Uh, I did pizza all through high school. And when I graduated high school, I kept working for the firm as they grew and so forth. But um, you know, what really got me into it again is, you know, it's like I couldn't eat uh, some of the, I don't want to name the the companies, but you know, there's many out there that, you know, I just couldn't eat their pizza. And so the kids loved it. And it's just one of these days I just said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I know pizza. I got great recipes. I'm going to make some. So I tried to go out and just find some pre-made dough. Couldn't find it. So I said, you know what? I'll make my own dough. So I started making pizzas for the family back in about 2007. And then, you know, it caught on and people would come over and we'd do it for parties and have neighbors over and relatives. And it just started getting out there. And so I just—it's just grown to that, and so now people in the community like it, love it, and so if they need a, you know, if they want a custom pizza, and uh, you know, handcrafted, made from scratch, they give me a couple of days advance notice. We get the ingredients, make them for them. We don't charge for that because we, you know, we're not an, uh, a brick and mortar yet. Uh, it's one of my goals uh, in the next few years is to. You know, uh, open up uh, an establishment and just uh, really, you know, uh, use it to not only let the community enjoy it, but also, you know, give back to the community. You know, so uh, yeah, it's a passion that I have, and I know that you and uh, Ed and I got on the uh, Zoom call and we went through the dough, and uh, so now I know you and Ed are now making pizzas, and and now I know you've graduated into flatbread, and so I think your family is really enjoying the, you know, getting away from all the, uh, the smoked meats and the bacons and this and that. So it's nice to get into the, uh, the vegetables or the margarita pizzas and things like that. So it's really good that you've opened up the uh, household menu, Todd, at the uh, Tamsia residence.
0: Well, I, I love to cook. I love to smoke meat and I was always apprehensive about making pizza. And the first time I made pizza was, uh, with you and Ed. So, uh, the, the recipe that you shared with us, we use all the time. Are you posting your recipes anywhere online at all?
1: No, I don't. I mean, if anybody wants them, I'm happy to, because uh, there's, there's no real se- I mean, there's, there's not really secrets, because you can go on there and find a hundred different. Uh, it just depends on what kind of crust you like, actually. I like the Mike McDonough crust.
0: That's what I know. I like the oh, well. pizza, and I like the way that you taught me.
1: Well, good. I'm glad you enjoy it, and I'm glad you learned something. And uh, so one of these days, I have to put in an order for uh, a case of that bacon to be delivered here to California. I will make sure that that happens, Mike. I will. Make- I know you will. And uh, my, my son loves uh, filet mignon, so I have to figure out uh, how we get some of that ordered as well to uh, go with some of the uh, lobster that we can get here locally. For those that don't know, there's a there's a
0: local meat uh, meat shop uh, butcher about thirty miles from us, and they do half inch thick thick cut bacon, and uh, it's one of my favorite things to cook in the morning. Um, they're the only rest. They're the only place I know that uh, that does that. And it seems to have caught on real quick. So all right, before we get too far, before we get too far off track here, Mike, um, let's help some of our listeners today with all things workers' compensation. Can you there's a reason that I brought you onto the podcast today, and it's basically the, the knowledge that you have in your your head, the way that you do business, and the 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 so far forward thinking that you have in the way that you've done business. And so I don't know if you can share with our listeners today about uh, a little bit about your background and how you got here.
1: All great questions. And I'll start with, I started in the captive industry working for um, state farm and I was a customer service rep. And how that came about is I was a sous chef in the Southern California area and I was, you know, the vision and dream I had was to, you know, open up my own like steak and seafood place and so forth, you know, close to the ocean and so forth. And so as I was, you know, learning more and more uh, on the job, you know, I was, you know, enjoying being, you know, sous chef. And, and one day I just out of the blue, a good friend of mine was going to USC and he was working downtown Los Angeles. He was working for a state farm agent uh, part-time and I guess they were looking for some help. And based upon my, you know, Uh, personality and so forth. He thought I'd be a good fit for sales and so forth. So he just called me up one day and says, Hey, would you, you know, consider working in the insurance business? I said, I don't know anything about it. So I uh, went down there, uh, interviewed with the state farm agent and I gave it a shot. And so during the day I would, you know, go work three, four days, maybe three to five hours a day talking about auto and home and some life insurance and so forth. And What happened is after about, I don't know, 90 to 120 days, I started having a lot of success with it. And then what really changed is I got invited to the owner's house. And when I saw his lifestyle, I saw how he was living life on his terms, that money wasn't really an object that, you know, he just had this really thriving business and a a great life It's like, you know what, this is what I want. And so when I started comparing restaurant to this, it's like, you know what? this is residual income. And so what happened was I, I went back to them and said, Hey, I want to become a state farm agent. And they said, we have to have a high school diploma. So I went back to school, got my um, college degree because they, I mean, they, they required a college degree. So all I had was a high school diploma. So I went back and got my college degree. Uh, and then unfortunately that situation that happened and it, it didn't work out. So I did the next best thing I thought, and I became a farmer's agent for about 11 years. And so, I was writing so much, you know, business with them. And then also the contract allowed me to write outside business. And it really led to me being an independent and then branching from personal lines. It's just like, you really got to figure out where do you want to spend your time? And so, um, you can make a great living in this industry and be successful as long as you stick with whatever you're doing. Some like personal lines, some like commercial, some like professional liability, some like malpractice, you know, I happen to like workers comp. And I just learned that the way to really, you know, they say that how do you get to a man's, you know, heart is, uh, you know, uh, through his stomach. Right. And so uh, how do you get to a business owner? Is you, You know, you get to them through their workers comp because that's where you can make the greatest impact on their balance sheet. And so that just led into me wanting to learn more about workers comp. And it was just a few scenarios that I ran into that, you know, it, it, Made me ask several questions as far as what was going on to understand how the system was really working. When I realized how the system was set up and how it it was completely skewed towards the employer, I mean, not the employer, the employee in the system, then the employers were funding the whole thing. I wanted to figure out a way what is the best way that I can make a difference in this business owner's life? And the way I found is working and managing with the injured employees.
0: That, that's, a, that's a fantastic story. I think everybody who likes workers' compensation probably has some type of emotional moment like that, right? That aha moment, that first claim. I don't think many agents out there, I don't think the industry as a whole is really talking about workers' compensation and how we make a better process for the employer as well as the employee and I think so. So many times, there's just you know, people think work comp's a four letter word. Um, and once you're in the system, it is pay, 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 pay. Employers feel like they don't have a say in what's going on. Employees may not feel like they have a say in where they're going or how they're getting treated. Costs stack up. Doctors are ordering more tests. They're the one, they're the real winners in this whole thing. And uh, the, the whole process, I think, sometimes gets gets a bad rap. And I know I want to change that. I know you've done some things in California to really be on the cutting edge of of helping employers manage that claim from day one, um, from the first instant that that claim happens. Uh, do you want to do you want to share a little bit about what you've created and what you've done and how you educate your employers on your employers on what to do when they do have that workers' compensation claim?
1: Sure. The first thing. And the most important thing is, uh, communication. And I can tell you 99 out of a hundred times when a business owner experiences a work comp injury, they don't know what to do. So the injured worker comes in, tells the supervisor, Hey, I was lifting the pallet. You know, I felt like a, a tweak in my back and I'm having pain going down my leg. So they say, okay. Um, let's see. So they bring them into the office, they look through the computer, or whatever, Google, and they find, okay, the clinic's five miles from here. Go to so-and-so clinic and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll just pay for it. Or if they're not going to pay for it, then what they do is they just say, well, okay, go to the doctor. And the doctor comes back and basically says, well, yeah, you know, he or she tweaked her back. Uh, they can return to work, uh, have them come back tomorrow for a follow-up and so forth. And or the person is injured slightly and they don't know what to do. And so they, and, and, and the employees not really injured. Well, they, they felt a slight pain, but do they really need to see a doctor? And what happens is the employers, anytime an injury occurs, they're just sending their injured employees to these doctors and these facilities, not knowing what the underlying thing is. And what we found is many times these employees will come back with a work status report no diagnosis and yeah it was just a little pinch here and there I can return to work no restrictions or we don't see anything here or just take some ibuprofen or just self-care whatever and what happens is is the medical facilities are asking for the insurance information and because they want to be guaranteed payment and so what that does that starts the clock ticking so you'll know as well as I do Todd you're going to an employer and you'll see on their loss runs they have 10 medical only claims that were less than $500. And you look at their mod, it's like, Oh my God, you know, what, 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 what caused this and so forth. So as far as the first thing to do is we set up the nurse triage, which you know, that I'm a big believer in. And so that takes control of the injury right away. And the reason why we set it up is twofold. Number one, the injured employee is speaking to a medical professional within minutes of the injury, not hours, minutes, depending on the circumstances that triage nurse is trained in occupational medicine. And he or she, as they're interviewing the injured employee, depending on the the symptoms, they will tell them start with self care, take the rest of the day off uh, ibuprofen, ice, it, heat, whatever it happens to be. If uh, symptoms persist, We'll refer you to the doctor tomorrow. What we found by going through the triage is that instead of employer just sending any employee down to a clinic and incurring medical costs, as we go through the triage, which is kind of like a buffer. And now today we can use telemedicine, which is another buffer, which you can go to telemedicine first and triage second. And we can talk about that some other time, but there's all kinds of different ways now. So 60% on average, 60% Of my clients on triage, uh, 60% of their claims are not reported to the carrier. It's not because they're not reporting them; because they're not telling the carrier. It's just that there was no real diagnosis. There was no treatment. They're not even first aid. They don't need to be reported. The employer has made note in the file. They've signed the forms, all those things in the personnel file. If the employee changes their mind the next day and go to the doctor, we certainly get those to the carrier right away. However, these claims that are you know, that go through triage, that they're self care, they never come back and become anything. So, when you add those up over a period of time, depending on the size of the employer and the types of claims that they're having, it can translate into thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings.
0: So, let's back up here a little bit. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of the nurse triage as well as you are. Uh, the reality is, in Iowa and throughout the Midwest, there are a ton of carriers, insurance carriers that do not have nurse triage built into their workers' compensation policy. They, they let the employer make the decision as to how that claim should be handled, believe it or not. And that's a lot of liability on an employer to make a determination whether, if that injured worker has hurt their back, do they need to go to the ER or should they self-care? And what if that employer makes the wrong decision? So when we talk about nurse triage, It's that first line of defense that an employer can initiate in their business, either in partnership with the insurance company, or in your case, you've got your own standalone nurse triage that you're using that the insurance company doesn't even know about. Is that Did I get that right for you?
1: Yeah. There are a few carriers that do offer triage. However, they don't do it the same way that benefits the employer so much yes, it's for the injured employee. However, um, I know that you deal with a carrier. Now, do you get notification from the triage at the, at the carrier? Uh, what, how are you kept in the loop? Um, who's following up to make sure that there's a work status report? Because right away, once you call into a triage, the next thing in your mind is, is that okay? Once we get the diagnosis, we want to find out, are they being referred? And if they are, what, Uh, We want to see the work status report because we're already looking at our return to work program. So when the injury is called in, our employers are trained to be thinking about, you know, not, not so much them, but our process and our team, we're already on top of the game. So I know if it goes into the carrier, they refer to the injured worker to a clinic. Are they communicating that back to the employer? In my experience, they're not. So does it serve a purpose to have a triage at the carrier? Yes, it does. However, it doesn't operate independently the same way that helps you as the advisor help your employer and the injured employee, because even though you're going through the carrier, things get lost in the system. And that's the biggest factor, Todd, is the communication breakdown. And that's really what we try to control, because if you can control the communication from the time the injury happens, that's really key is controlling the information coordinating with the doctors, the medical provider network, the triage, return to work program, the supervisors. I mean, it's just a lot of things start happening. And so that's the reason why I've used an independent triage firm versus going through the carriers. I love that. So
0: I think the first step, let's, let's back this up here a little bit. If I'm a small employer, maybe I'm paying a couple thousand dollars a year in work comp and money's tight. I think the carrier First of all, finding a workers' compensation insurance carrier that has nurse triage is better than no triage at all. And I think having the carrier nurse triage is, is better than not doing anything. At least, At least there's a way to transfer the liability off to a third party, let them make a determination. And in your scenario, I think for even some of those larger employers or those employers who want to pay a separate standalone fee to control their own nurse triage will be paramount to their success in controlling their workers' compensation premiums long-term. Now in the Midwest where we live, if carriers are always worried about, should I pay for the claim by myself or should I send them to the physician and pay the claim? And if, if, if a business has never used nurse triage before, I think we should probably break down how that works. So if I'm an injured worker, and I call the nurse triage hotline, and it results in self-care, that's a $0 claim, and that does not get reported to any regulatory authority or have any increased cost on the workers' compensation experience mod that Mike mentioned earlier. But if, if there is a dollar amount associated with it, the medical-only claim is a lot better than the medical indemnity claim. And I know we're kind of getting into the weeds here a little bit, Um, But I'm with you. The first thing I think employers should be able to do, the first thing they should do is put put in some nurse triage. It's step one in managing that claim. Step two is making sure that you're notified if somebody's got a serious problem, that we can manage the cost containment of that claim and bring them back to work as
1: soon as possible. Correct. And I agree 100%. Now, what I would recommend to brokers that are in workers' comp, whether you're a beginner, you've been doing it for 10 years, you want to start offering value ads, the triage is, is one thing. And to your point, Todd, is that I agree. And that's the other reason why the triage is put into place. Because we've had situations where the injured employee fell, maybe bumped their head, wasn't too serious, the manager says, you know, hey, do you want to go to the doctor? No, I'm feeling okay. And then later on, an hour later, they pass out. Okay. So that, that manager just took on that risk for that employer because the injured employee reported an injury to them. The general manager is not a doctor, not a medical professional. So there's going to be like in a court, as you know, that they're going to say that they should have known better and had better judgment to either send them to the doctor or or, or do something, but don't just let them get back to work. So that's a big reason there is the triage is it relieves the majority of the liability away from the owner. So if the owner, for example, like, you know, they're on, you know, Spain on vacation, and somebody falls at their manufacturing plant there's a triage in place, it's, it's running whether they're there or not. And so that's really what you want is you want it to be a system that works whether you're there or not. And it's looking out for the best interest of your employees and the company and so forth. So triage is, um, is, is key. And so I just think from a liability standpoint, from reducing claims costs uh, and not getting too far into the weeds, but yes, you're absolutely right. Medical only is a lot better than an indemnity claim. Yeah. And having true. So,
0: I think the key takeaway here before we uh, maybe move on to some other things is if you're a business and you don't have nurse triage, or this is the first time you're hearing about nurse triage, I think step one would be to partner with at least some insurance carrier out there that at least offers that. Or if you're large enough and you want to manage that on your own, um, there are certainly firms such as the one that uh, that Mike works with here that you can hire to outsource and transfer all of that liability too. I know in our world, the, the future of nurse triage and telemedicine, especially with COVID right now, is, uh, is growing at an exponential rate and being able to advise injured workers immediately after a claim through a mobile app or through a video is becoming paramount to how those claims should be handled going forward. Mike, you've done a lot, a lot of, uh, I mean, you have a lot of large clients. You have clients in multiple states and nurse triage is, is step one of your program, what's step two, three, and four? I mean, give us a quick rundown. What's the next thing you're going to put in? The next thing you're going to put in, what are you going to do to help them and advise them to control their workers' compensation premiums and get employees back to work as quickly as possible in a safe manner, obviously?
1: Okay, so uh, to back way up, part of our onboarding process when we take on a new client Uh, Or when we renew an account, we always go over the procedures. And the first thing we do with a brand new client is we look at the exposures. So whether it's manufacturing, are they working with machinery? Is it a construction company? Are they working multiple job sites? Is it concrete pumps? Are they up on scaffolding? Is it ladders? Are they carrying things? Are they lathering uh, plaster contractors? You know, Are they wearing knee braces, all the other things? So we want to look at the exposures. Do they have an office or do they run from a trailer? And the reason why we look at that is because we want to look at the end in mind. Because I'll tell you right now, I can go out to probably 10 construction sites right now and ask them, what's your return to work program? And most of them won't have one. And so what happens is, is they find out after the injury happens, and you'll find a lot of construction companies have a lot of indemnity claims because they don't think that they can set up a modified duty program. They don't think they're going to return to work program. So when we identify all the exposures in the onboarding process or even in the prospecting is we identify the potential of, okay, if he breaks his leg or if you have a guy out has back surgery, this and that, what things do you have in place so that they're not sitting at home for six months or three months, you know, driving up the cost of your claims. So we've already identified the solution before the injury occurs so that when the injury does occur we're able to put that injured employee right into that program from day one. Now, it depends on the surgery and it depends on the surgeon because if they don't, we have sometimes the doctor won't let them return to modified duty. They want them out on total temporary disability, which doesn't happen often, but it does. But but the answer to your question is we look at it. So that's one of the big steps when we onboard new clients is we look how can we... Uh, set up a return to work program based upon the exposures of this company. So when you bring them on or a client, they have a claim, obviously it's nurse triage. So from nurse triage, if they're referred to the clinic in the MPN, the next step is we want the employee or the clinic sending the work status report directly to the supervisor or the owner, whoever handles the work comp for that company. That person is then sending the work status to our office Somebody from our office gets on the phone with the company and the work, the restrictions are reviewed together. So we go over the diagnosis. We look at, okay, can't lift more than 10 pounds, no bending and stooping more than 30 minutes. And so we've already identified and we know, okay, we've got this program over here and we're going to, you know, change the, you know, the uh, job description to light duty and they're gonna do this. So, so for example, a bakery, the baker hurts the back. Well, guess what? Now the baker is getting the same rate of pay, but now he or she's working in the front. They're, you know, cashier, but you know what, guess what? We have them sitting down in a chair. So w- whatever it takes to do those things, because if you can keep the indemnity portion away from the claim, that's really gonna help the employer. But also too, you want to keep that employee coming back. Forget about the workers count and the rates going up. Yeah, those are all important. But more importantly, is getting the employee to stay engaged at work because it helps with uh, helps with morale. It helps with you know uh, the employee instead of sitting at home and saying, "Oh my God, you know, I'm only getting two thirds my pay," and so they they start getting disgruntled and this wasn't my fault. And so you just want to make sure that you control that employee and keeping them in the work environment as best you can. Now, if in a situation we've had where the employee went to the emergency room because they didn't listen to the triage because they didn't trust triage or whatever. And this happens, Todd, they'll go to the emergency room. Let's say UCLA, for example, because I have a lot of clients in West Los Angeles in the restaurant industry, and they'll have somebody go to UCLA emergency room at 11 o'clock at night because nothing else is open. And so we get a medical bill of $6,800 when so they ran an MRI, they did a cat scan, they did x-rays, they did this and that. Come to find out there's no diagnosis, there's no follow-up, there's no restrictions, but now this employer has a $6,800 medical bill. So what I do is that bill is sent to me, uh, to our office, and I have my own bill review teams. So what we do is we send that medical invoice to our bill review team and they review it based upon the work comp fee schedule. So what happens is, is that $6,800 bill, my client may only owe $275 of that. So my client will write a check for $275. The rest is waived off because of the work comp fee schedule. So ultimately I just saved that client about $6,000. So you, you can see it's not just saving them money on their premiums. It's not just you know uh, saving you know, indemnity claims and so forth. Every component within workers comp decisions all have a financial impact associated with it. And that's what really is, that's why workers comp is somewhat difficult. Uh, it's not complicated as far as writing it because it's you know statutory coverage. It's the workers that are getting injured and that's where the disconnect is. And that's what's driving the cost. Obviously we all know claims drive cost, but what are the things that can be done to mitigate or reduce some of those things that really work in, in favor of the employer but also too, what we're doing is we're seeing employees getting back to work sooner, happier. You know, they're not out of work and we're not disrupting the, the flow of the production at these companies and construction and so forth. So there's a lot of things tied to it, Todd. All right, let's, let's circle back here. When you first started
0: at Farmers or State Farm, how much did you know about workers' compensation?
1: Uh, didn't, didn't know much. I pretty much did it like everybody's doing it today. To me, it was just another coverage that we offered to cover the employees.
0: So in, in several states, we have state-administered pricing um, or you have lost cost pricing. And I think that so many, even even my, in my young career, when an employer says, hey, I want an insurance quote, all they look at is a dollar number of what is that workers' compensation policy costing. Am I getting the cheapest rate out there? Which we all know the calculation for workers' compensation is payroll times the rate times your mod. What I'm advocating for in this industry Is for that to change and for businesses to look beyond the premium because a premium can be competitive or maybe even slightly higher priced. But when you get the knowledge of a guy like you, of an instant bill review, of a return to work program, of a nurse triage, of a team of attorneys, of all of the key systems in place that on the worst day in that employees and employers life you've got all those pieces put together. And then the price is immaterial at that point. The price of the work comp policy doesn't matter because you really need an expert to make sure that your business can survive, that you're not going to get sued and that you did everything right to manage that claim and bring that employee back to work in a safe manner. And I know that you have done a fantastic job building that out. When you mentioned earlier that when they go to the doctor and you get the bill, how often or how how quickly are you getting the doctor's notes and the bill after an injured worker goes to see that medical provider?
1: Within days. Within
0: days. So you know instantly right away how quickly there's going to be a problem or if it's going to go through smoothly.
1: Correct. Yeah, I'll know right away from the work status report and the diagnosis. That is That is fantastic. That is fantastic.
0: I get so excited when I talk about this stuff, Mike, because I – you're you did it. You did this before. I think a lot of people in the industry were even thinking about it, and you built a whole business out there to support your clients in a world where people are not necessarily doing that, and it's very it's 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 not talked about all that well. What uh, what else are you doing out there that we should know about?
1: Well, you know, one thing I I, I just want to clarify so people understand is that and maybe you've heard me talk about it in the past an auto claim, a home claim, or even a slip and fall claim. I mean, think back of any of your clients that have been in an auto accident. What happens? Their car is taken to a body shop, right? Yep. They're put into a rental car. The car sits at the shop, waits for the examiner. I mean, things go faster now because it's over the computers and the relationships and body shop can communicate online and it goes faster. My point is though, is that you're dealing with a car and so when the claim goes in, your policyholder is going about their life knowing that their car is being fixed. Then they get called, hey, your car is ready to be picked up, just need to pay your deductible, boom, take your car. Okay, so in their mind, the policyholder thinks, okay, it worked right. Okay, agent sold me policy. I had a claim, started to claim, claims handled the claim, said and done. Same thing with a home claim. Where the biggest disconnect is, is that the broker – places the worker's comp policy and thinks, okay, my client has a work comp claim. So-and-so insurance companies claims examiner is going to handle that injured worker. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening at all. So that's why I've created what I've done. Because to be honest with you, Todd, if the insurance companies did what I do on a daily basis, like they're supposed to, I'd, I'd, I'd be selling auto and home. I'd be looking for other, you know, other niches. Seriously. Uh, this is where I like to spend my time because it makes a huge impact. Brokers need to understand that you're dealing with feelings, you're dealing with emotions. Everybody's threshold of pain is differently, depending on what part of the country you're in. You could be different dealing with different, um, you know, dialects and 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 languages and so forth. And people become fearful, and they become fearful for a couple of reasons. One. They know their boss might get upset because they know they shouldn't have done what they did, but they got injured. They don't want to tell their boss. They're afraid they might get fired. They don't know that there's temporary disability. So they think, okay, I don't want to report this because I can't afford to be off for two or three weeks or three months because I have a family to support. So what we've done is we've identified that is the biggest problem in communication. And so that's the first thing that we address when the injured worker is if we understand there's a language barrier, we bring in that person that speaks that language fluently And they're in communication with that injured worker explaining the process. And so we've mitigated, taken away 85% of litigation. So my litigation rate, my clients on average is less than 15%. Wow. Wow.
0: Share with me a story, if you will, of maybe a client that has changed their mind based upon what you do. They wanted to buy a policy on price. Maybe you went in and said, hey, I'll go ahead and work with you. And then there was that one claim that changed everything for them. And I mean, most businesses, they don't have that severe claim. They don't have that one large claim that changes the way they operate or changes their business culture um, to focusing on the employee and doing the right thing and mitigating claims and taking care of that injured worker uh, in a way that they should be taken care of and in a way that that injured worker feels comfortable with taking care of. You have a story like that?
1: Well, I have several. I'm trying to think of what would be the most impactful to share to get the message across. I mean, at the end of the day, Todd, and and I, and I talk to employers about this all the time, is I understand price is important to you. Um, everybody, I mean, if, if you went and bought three trucks for your company, you're going to want to get the best fleet deal from that dealership. I, I understand that. Um, if you're, you know, buying a new forklift, you know, hey, I might be able to find one at an auction, right? I get, I get, you know, we have to run our, our, our businesses. We want to be profitable and we want to be smart about it. And so, but when it comes to workers' comp, it's just the premium. Yes, that's important. That's on your balance sheet. So let's say, Todd, it's fifty thousand dollars on your balance sheet, and that's what your company can afford. It's the best your your broker found this year. Okay, we're going about our merry way. So then, what happens is you start having claims. So now you've got medical bills, you've got indemnity claims, you've got loss of production. You had to hire a leasing company for six months. So. So your costs go up, let's say a hundred grand. So how does that translate to your 50 grand? So, you know, that's a huge increase. And that's that's the part, that's the cost of the risk that people don't associate, which is the difference between the cost of the premium. Premium is very important. But at the end of the day, that's just a number. That That is a, that's an impact to your business, but the indirect and hidden costs are a bigger factor to your bottom line. So not- I- we're talking about total. a year ago. This Friday, this Friday, because I talked to the owner yesterday. This Friday will be the anniversary of when I got a call at nine in the morning from one of my clients. Uh, he'd been with me for one year. Um, they, um, you know, obviously I was talking to the CFO, and they're looking for the the cost of the insurance, and it was important. And anyways, uh, January eighth of twenty twenty the owner calls me at nine in the morning and and basically says, uh, I answer the phone. Hi, this is Mike, or I I think it was, I think, because it was my cell phone, I recognized his number. I said, hey, what's going on? You know, happy new year, blah, blah, blah. And he just says, you know, so-and-so, I'm sitting here, my employee just lost his arm. And it's like, it went through my head and it's like, I, I, I thought I heard it, but then I had to ask him, I said, I'm sorry, what happened? So he told me, he says, I'm sitting here right now and the paramedics are here at the fire department and my employee's laying here on the ground full of blood you know, and, and, and he got his arm ripped off. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I just basically said, okay, um, hang on. So I just got up and told my wife, hey, I uh, got to leave the office. And so I hopped in the car and I was at my client's facility in about 40 minutes. Um, I had already been in contact with my OSHA consultant because I knew OSHA was going to be coming out. So their team was there, and um, so I just got into the office and started going through the whole thing with the employer. And I spent about five or six hours with him that day because I know it's kind of, and I would be morbid about it, but the, the the arm was in a machine, and the paramedics couldn't get the arm out of the machine, so they just took photos and airlifted him to the hospital. So I, I le- even learned a lesson that day, Todd, is it, it took us several hours, but we had to find a firm that does that and how you have to process a certain body and not, not just certain, but how you have to process body parts in related to a work injury. It's just the federal government tracks that. And so there's a process you have to go through. Uh, we were in contact with OSHA. We started going through his IIPP logs. We had a meeting with the injured employees. We roped off the area where the injury occurred. We made sure that we kept the confidentiality to the employees that you don't start talking about it and all these other things. So it was a very, very um, impactful day for me and also my client. And where I felt the reward, Todd, is, you know, because he wasn't saying, hey, are my premiums going on? We didn't even talk about premiums. See, now premiums are out the window. What he said to me is he says, I can't tell you what this means to me that you are here right now. To me that you can't put a price on that. You cannot put a dollar amount to that comment. You know what I'm saying? And right then and there, it's like, you know what? My 40 years in this industry, this, this, you know, hearing that is like, okay, what I'm doing is working. What I'm doing is helping. And you know what? Every broker out there can do the same thing I'm doing. We just have to care a little bit more, ask more questions, learn a little bit more about what our clients are doing and coordinate that with whatever vendor you're using, whether it's a PEO, a um, alternative risk, self-insured group, deductible plan, whatever it is, figure out the best way to where you're taking care of not only your clients, but their employees as a whole. Wow. What a,
0: what a powerful story. Uh, You know, our thoughts and prayers go out to that injured worker and uh, you know, As agents, sometimes we become callous to maybe those injuries and more procedural. But when you see that or you hear about that and the impact that that's going to have on an employee's life forever and your employer, there's also a whole other litany of things you got to do like preserve evidence, right? Right. Was it a failure of a machine? Was there a safety guard? On pr- I mean, who knows what the problem was? Was it a rented machine that wasn't set up properly that caused the damage to that injured worker that may need to be litigated? Cause you know, probably with, you know, a loss of an arm, attorneys are going to get involved, risk management, OSHA. I mean, that thing's going to blow up. Um, and obviously an agent like yourself who has been around doing this for 40 years, has the expertise and the knowledge to help protect their clients and help make that process go as smooth as it possibly can, given the circumstances. It's a phone call. Nobody wants at nine o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so I asked him to write the forward in my book and he wrote the forward. So if you get my book, you'll see in the forward, the, he talks about why you want to be with a broker like Mike McDonough and what he found out that day, what a real broker was. And he talks about, Hey, I used to think it was about quotes. And he said in, in, in the book, you know, you're lucky if you end up with a broker like, like Mike McDonough. And, and so, um, you know, it, it was just an honor for me to have him share that story in my book to the impact because what the whole point of having him do the forward is I want people to understand it's not about price. It's about caring and doing the right thing. And if you provide value, these people won't be shopping every year. My clients do not ask for loss runs. They don't shop me every year. They don't. I don't, I don't have to go through that renewal. Now I'll get lost runs because I want to compare the market and this and that and make sure because, you know, uh, you have to do your due diligence, but my clients do not shop me.
0: There's no reason for them to the, the good clients, the good clients have realized, and I mean, not good for like our business or your business clients that understand the purchasing power of insurance price is only one component of their overall risk management strategy. It's not the end all be all price plus value gives you your product price plus the value of whatever services that you can provide to making sure that that company is going to be in business year after year after year. They're fully staffed. They've got their employees back to work. They don't have employees out on uh, work restriction because they don't have a return to work program. So now they're running short staffed. They're missing out on potential sales opportunities. Maybe they're running overtime. I mean, you've seen you've seen the businesses that don't know what to do when they have a workers' compensation claim and how negatively it impacts their business operations. They're calling you probably more often than they should. And then you've seen the other side of it, of how you help bring people back, what a successful business looks like, the type of client that you want to work with, and the programs that they're going to be willing to put in place to make sure that all of those pieces go together in a
1: seamless fashion. Yeah, correct. And so if you want to go another step, even past the bill review is, you know, you have an injured worker that, you know, doesn't really like the way, you know, the claim is being handled and they're not litigated. However, it's getting close to being litigated. However, you have your bilingual um, associate advocate talking to that injured worker. And um, we just had a case recently where, he needed surgery, didn't want to have it, but they were going to give him future medical and so forth. The potential exposure of the injury was about $150,000. We settled it for $30,000. So that's $120,000 swing in favor of the employer. The injured worker was taken care of. He got a, uh, a fair settlement based upon the doctor's report for his permanent disability. He got enough for future medical and we're talking like a carpal tunnel. However, due to his age and so forth. Uh, He had permanent work restrictions. And so the employer couldn't accommodate. Basically, the doctor talked him out of his industry. So what we did is we got him a voucher. So he's able to go get retrained in another industry or within the same industry and possibly management for because this guy was a chef. He could go be a manager in a hotel or whatever for a kitchen and things like that. He can go to school and, and the work comp system will pay for that. So but at the end of the day, being involved, it's just here's another case is by having an advocate that spoke the language that felt that help that employee feel comfortable, ultimately save the employer $120,000. Had I not been involved that that case would probably still be litigated through some other broker. And that case would still be going on and the exposure would be up there. And I'm sure a lot of other claims would be happening too, along with that uh, employer. So there, there's so many components, Todd, what changed what changed to get to from
0: $150,000 claim reserved to a $30,000 claim reserved,
1: the, uh, the surgery, the post surgery physical therapy. Uh, If the surgery, uh, if it goes bad, needs a second or third, if there's any type of uh, deformity uh, and does not uh, heal properly from that surgery. So you're looking at all these other steps and then you're getting into other levels of professional medical, you know, qualified medical examiners and, uh, and, and so forth. So what happens is, is the injury can become worse from what it is right now. So based upon, if you have carpal tunnel, an average person, this is what the surgery should cost. This is what the physical therapy should be. But when you have somebody that's an older you know, age, okay, and then depending on when that, uh, you know, depending on their age, you could get into the the government side of the MSA, the medical set aside and things like that. But when we went through the reports with the attorney, I mean, not the attorney, but with the claims examiner, my advocate and the permanent disability report and the doctor's reports and so forth, it had 150,000 exposure worst case scenario. Got it, got it. So it's not like this is what, it's like, okay, so the carrier wanted to settle between 10 and 15 and, and the guy's like, no, I want, I want, you know, 40,000. And it's like, well, you know, it, and we, my advocate says, well, it's not worth 40. It's, you know, it's somewhere between 30, 35, but anyways, they came back and okay, let's do 20. And it's like, so they started ticking him off and it's like, you know what? The owner's like, give him the 30, you know, and have him sign off and, you know, he's happy, you know? And so that's, that's, that's what happened. But the potential was 150, and but the case would if we had not settled that, it, it'd still be open today. We settled this, I think, back in July. That's awesome. I'm a huge but advocate. I, we did that without an attorney. It was myself and my claims manager who did the, and I went and represented the employer because he didn't want to be involved. So we met at a restaurant because the guy was out, uh, you know, on on um, uh, not on uh, TDD. He was uh, out. Um, uh, whatever. But anyways, we met him at the restaurant and went through the whole process and he signed and he's happy and he got his voucher. So, but that's a win for the employer. But the point is, is it's, you need to stay engaged on some level. And, uh, I don't think every broker needs to do it at the level I do. Even if you did 10% more than what you're doing now, it's better than nothing. Um, there, there are ways to improve, but to your point, Todd, if you want to buy online, I still think there's a need for that because you know what, if I'm a gift store and I've got two part-time employees, okay, my premium is $1,000, right? Even if my mod goes to 300%, okay, it's, it's not going to break the bank, okay? So, you know, does anyone want a 300 mod? No, but, you know, if somebody's paying $1,000, premiums premium $4,000. Sure, I mean, that's a, you know, disadvantage to the business, but somebody that's paying $200,000 going to 300 mod, that, that's a huge problem, right? So it's all done on the scales, but if somebody doesn't really, like somebody wants to buy, you know, their car insurance at Costco, that's a very small percentage, you know? So there's a need. So those that want to buy online, we need to have that. If there's people that want the engagement and the face-to-face and they want the value ads and they want somebody taking on just like their CPA and attorney, there's that avenue as well. It just really depends on what the client's needs are. And that's what we find out in the interview when we first meet the client It's like, hey, How can we help you? And I don't take on everybody. I mean, they have to be a cooperative component is what I call them. They have to change their culture, their safety. You know, they have to want to work with me and look at me as their advisor to help them make the decisions. If they're not willing to do that, I just tell them, hey, thank you very much for your time, but just continue doing what you're doing. And if you ever change your mind, I'm available to talk to you.
0: I imagine someday there's going to be a lot of people who the day after they experience their first large claim that goes off the rails, they'll be calling people like you.
1: Correct. And it's just like, that's when you don't want to find out at workers comp. I can tell you right now, I can see on the posts on LinkedIn, the articles that are written. It's very, it's a reactive industry. I'm proactive. So when you hear people talk about do the opposite of what everybody else is doing, that's me. I am very proactive in everything that I do.
0: So for the, the listeners of the comp effect, that's exactly what this podcast is designed for. We want to talk about proactive things that your business can do to create a better culture, reduce claims for employees, create a better experience, all the things that your business can do to thrive and grow and not get bogged down or disabled by the one large claim or the thing that you didn't know how to handle because you don't have the right people behind you. And there are people in their businesses in all different sizes I'm with you. If I'm a $600 workers' compensation policy, chances are we're probably not going to have Mike McDonough on the scene doing all these things because it doesn't make sense. But for the larger ones, it makes sense because that number swings so big. And when you take three or $400,000 out of, a, out of a bottom line P&L, it's a lot of money for insurance on a workers' compensation claim. Businesses need to make a profit to grow, continue to hire, and acquire new things. And I believe that having a workers' compensation strategy is going to help a business control those costs long-term, pay less for insurance, and be fully staffed and have all the things to continue to grow and do it the right way.
1: Anything else you want to add to that, Mike? Uh, no. Um, one thing is uh, that I feel is very important is the culture. And, and I see that most employers... having an issue with because you know nowadays it's it's hard I don't want to say it's hard Uh, some companies have challenges with hiring practices and we will find that through reviewing their loss history the types of claims the size of the claims and so forth it all comes down to culture and that has to start with the handbook um, do they have a HR director? Do they have a safety loss control? So, you, you know, if you're talking to a business, if they don't have those, then that's that's really not a good start. And so if they have those in place, then the next thing is, is are you enforcing your safety? Are you doing regular trainings? If you see an employee climbing up a ladder without the safety harness, does that employee get written up? I can tell you right now, the employers don't want to get into situations where they're disciplining their employees because they are afraid of retaliation, they'll quit, whatever the situation is. So what they do is they set a precedent where the other employees are saying, hey, this guy's climbing up the ladder, doesn't have the safety harness, so it must be okay for me to do that. And that's, that's really what's going on. And so we try to teach employers to enforce their handbook. So whatever you have in your handbook, that is what you want to follow on a regular basis. So if they are not following safety protocol, they should be written up. Because I'll tell you right now, nine out of 10 employers, when we talked about somebody on a loss run, I should have got him or her, I should have got rid of him or her years ago, right? And we've all heard that, right? right. And so, so when somebody wants to call me and say, I want to fire this guy, I say, well, hey, did you write him up? No. Okay. And, or they report the injury and it's like, you know, this is a bogus claim. And, you know, I just, this guy shouldn't be working for us anymore. And I want to get rid of him. And it's like, well, did you write him up? You know, have you disciplined him? No. Okay. Well, you don't have a leg to stand. And so he's your employee. She's your employee. So now all we got to do is let's take care of the injury and we'll work backwards on that. But I work closely with my clients, HR. I work closely with their loss control. And so I'm making sure that the handbook has a return to work program, that they have a disciplinary thing in their handbook, that if they don't follow protocol using safety, they are written up after three times they're let go. Because Mike Stromso, he's said it, you know, hire slow, fire fast. You know, and uh, I agree with that. Uh, I'm not asking or, uh, you know, encouraging employers to go out and clean house. It's just they need to really look at the culture. What message are they sending to the injured employees? Because I'll tell you right now, Todd, the companies that I work with, with happy employees, they don't file claims. It's the ones where there's no, you know, communication. It's just everybody's running amok. The employer's running from the hip. And that's really where they get into trouble. And so it starts with the handbook, in my opinion. You've seen the loss runs before where you have a
0: client that has 20 or 30 claims. They're running a high mod. And you know, just by talking to the owner, it's a culture problem. Absolutely. Lack of culture to focus on the employees. It's a lack of culture of safety. It's a lack of culture of caring whether they get home at night. Um, And (laughs) you and I have seen those. I, I don't know that uh, when we when we do when we talk about insurance or providing insurance services on a client like that, it's not about the premium. It's about what are you going to do to change the culture, because that is what's going to determine whether or not we proceed forward. Because there's no insurance company that's going to want to take on a company with a bad culture, with lots of claims that's going full steam ahead the same way that they have before.
1: Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Todd. Mike, that's the beauty of this
0: podcast. I'm hoping to share messages like yours and uh, other people's as we go on in uh, 2021 and 2022. I know it's probably time to wrap up here. I got a few final questions for you, but is there anything else that you would like to tell businesses, HR professionals, risk managers uh, before we wrap up today?
1: Yeah, if there's something that you don't understand or you would like to learn more about to become better at what you're doing to help people is reach out and ask. I've built what I've built by taking defense attorneys to dinner, claims examiners, going to seminars, reading. I mean, I've being involved in the claims, uh, you know, making sure my clients are involved in the deposition. So from A to Z, I've, I've learned it because, and I don't need to know as much as I do, but the reason why I did that is because even in the work comp system, as much as people are involved with the doctors and everybody else, there's money to be made. And so at the end of the day, the employers are funding the whole thing. So ask yourself this question. Okay, I'm doing this for my clients right now on work comp. What one or two things can I do or implement that could add value to my client and potentially reduce their cost and not just their cost and premiums, but also the cost of, you know, the cost of doing business, which is the hidden costs and so forth. So everything has a financial tag to it. So if I was going to say anything is if you really want to do workers comp and you want to be an impact in your client's lives, either you or somebody in your organization or reach out to a professional that knows workers comp, even if they know more than you, and interview that person and see what kind of arrangement you can work out and bring them on to assist you where you're, you know, offering more value to your clients, where at the end of the day, everybody's winning. The injured worker's winning, the employer's reducing their costs, and you look better as a work comp advisor. So that, that's my recommendation. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you so much. Before
0: we wrap up here today, um, I just want to ask you a couple, three final questions here. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right
1: now? Uh, It's right here. Let me pull it up right here. I'm reading reading how to reduce working. No, I'm just kidding. It's a book called Living in the Zone. What's that about? It's about uh, listening to your intuition when you're talking to clients. Because you know when you're talking to somebody, you get a gut feeling, right? Oh, this is a bad deal, or hey, this you know, or this could be trouble and things like that. Um, So, you know, when you listen to your intuition, I mean, that's our that's really our guide, isn't it? And so when we meet with so many different people, we get so into the sales process or we have knowledge and we're sharing here and there. But what we forget is our intuition because I, too, have been guilty of this. I've taken on clients I shouldn't have. And um, so I try to avoid, you know what? I want to attract the people that, that are in alignment with what I'm doing. Um, I, I don't want to attract people that don't understand or get what I'm doing that are basically taking time away from the clients that, you know, do appreciate me. So, um, so that's what that book's about is listening to your intuition.
0: That's a great book. I've, uh,
1: again, it's called living in the zone and it's written by Sidney Walker.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. There's uh, there's two times I didn't listen to my gut and I was burned both times on those. And so I think that's probably a great book and has some great value in there. Next thing. What's one thing you spend more money on than you should?
1: That's a good question. um, probably, oh, well, I can't say marketing because marketing does, I, I would say, um, I've probably spent too much money on, on the wrong marketing. <laughs> um, Right now with COVID, I, I really, my expenses are, are way down and we don't go out as much and aren't traveling and things like that. So before I would probably say going out and, e- you know, eating or, or, or traveling, things like that. But I, I don't know if that's a bad or a good thing.
0: It's neither or. It's whatever you want it to be. And then before we wrap up here, any advice you'd like to give the world from
1: the head of Mike McDonough? Just be true to yourself and just be authentic and, and be the best you can be. That's what I wake up every morning to do is just become better at being a person. And as, as a, as a, you know, uh, a father, a husband, and uh, you know, just being the best I can be to everybody that I'm in, you know, engaged with on a daily basis and making an impact in their lives. Well, Mike, you made a, you've made an impact in my life.
0: It's been great to know you. Um, I look Same here, to, to grow and learn from you. And I really appreciate the time that you took today to help educate our listeners on workers' compensation. Uh, Before we wrap up here today, uh, tell us a little bit about your book
1: and how people can find you. Okay, well, my book, it's how to, well, it's written primarily for nurseries because we do specialize in, in, in flower growers here in California. And it's how nurseries can significantly reduce their workers' comp legally. The name of the book is Rigged. And how I came up with that name is the system is really geared um, towards the system and away from the, from the employer. The employer is, it's a, WorkComp has its own ecosystem and it's all funded by employers. So even with SIGA, the California Insurance Guarantee Fund that the employers pay into as a portion of their premiums, it it allows insurance companies to undercut the market and 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 does all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, all the costs are incurred by the employer regardless of what's going on. And so the book is really, it talks about um, working with a specialist versus a generalist. Uh, One of the analogies I use in the book is, you know, high blood pressure and I relate that to the mod. So, you know, if you have high blood pressure, you know, you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't know what the cause of it is. So they look, is it diet? Is it hereditary? Uh, Do you need exercise? Is it the food? Is it too much alcohol? You smoke it, whatever the situation is. And, and so as your blood pressure goes up, your health gets worse. Well, the same thing is in your mod works like your blood pressure. So, uh, you know, instead of 1.00, it should, you know, blood pressure is 120 over 80. So you want to keep your, your mod at least at a 1.00, which is considered healthy. It's average, but you can also do better by doing more eating better and you know, getting on treadmill and exercising every day so you can lower your your blood pressure and just like you can lower your mod. So I talk about being with a specialist because if you are gonna have knee surgery, you don't let a general practitioner, you know, uh, do an ACL, uh, you know, surgery on you. You go to an orthopedic surgeon. If you have a tax liability issue, you're gonna call, you know, probably the best tax attorney, right? Well, same thing in workers' comp. A lot of employers are working with generalists and for those brokers out there, and and David Carruthers will back this up, is that you know if you're not doing it, brokers like yourself, Todd, mine, and David, and David's team, and the Killing Commercial team, we're going to go on there and we're going to just start you know cleaning house because you know you if if you're a specialist and the client gets the fact that you understand workers' comp and you can actually make an impact in their business, they're going to give you the business, and so if you're just a generalist and you're just placing policies, in my opinion, you're really doing a disservice to your client. Yes, okay, from a contractual standpoint, yeah, you're licensed to write the policy, but just putting that into place, getting a commission and not really offering any services, how is that benefiting anybody? And so if you're gonna get a sizable commission, maybe offer some loss control services. Maybe you get in there and you have an assistant in your office and at least just follow up on a work comp claim. Hey, did Susie make it to the doctor? You know, whatever the situation is, but provide some value, right? And that's really what this is all about. And so my book, it talks about, you know, um, working with a specialist. If you really want to drive your cost down, work with somebody that knows your business, knows the system, and can make an impact to your bottom line. And if you're not working with a specialist, it's now time to maybe consider working with one. That's what the book's about.
0: Agreed, Mike. Agreed. I love it. How can people find you?
1: Well, you can find me at uh, my uh, website, which is the www.workerscountrenegade.com. You can email me at mike at workerscountrenegade.com. You can text me or call me on my cell phone, which is area code 805-680-4918 and uh, if anybody would like to uh, learn more or you know just have any questions about what they heard today or how they can you know even start on a small scale just reach out to me and i'm happy to uh, discuss with anybody that reaches out to me
0: i can 100% vouch for that i picked up the phone and called mike 2 years ago and he answered and uh, i'm sure he'll do the same for you mike thanks again for your time today uh, for being a good friend and being for such a such a great leader in the industry
1: Todd, uh, thank you so much. And I just got one thing to say, and that's uh, go Cyclones.
0: (laughs) I love it. Go Cyclones.